Lent is the one time of the year when everyone goes all legalistic with our faith. Can I eat meat today is the question everybody asks me all the time. An American who just moved to Canada asked me if in Canada it was required to not eat meat on Fridays. Another person asked me if pork was considered red meat. Really? People, giving up meat on Fridays is good. But you're missing the point. Lent is a time when we're supposed to get rid of the stuff that gets in the way between us and God. Fasting, prayer, and almsgiving are disciplines that help us focus on what's essential. Jesus went into the desert because in the desert is where we have the bare minimum. We get rid of the stuff that we don't need, the extras, so we can focus on the essentials, so we can focus on our relationship with God. It's not about eating meat or not eating meat. You should give stuff up, and it should be a sacrifice. It should hurt a little. If you can't come up with anything better or that is more specific to where you are in your spiritual life, then the church suggests giving up red meat on Fridays. But it's just a suggestion. Besides, we should be focusing on our relationship with God all the time. So prayer, fasting, and almsgiving is a year-round discipline. Remember Psalm 51. You do not delight in sacrifice, Lord. The sacrifice acceptable to God is a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart. I'm Deacon Pedro, and this is the Salt and Light Hour. Hello and welcome to an all-new Salt and Light Hour. I'm Deacon Pedro. A special hello to all of you who are listening through the relevant radio network and to those of you listening on Roku. It's very cool that our fans in the United States can now watch Salt and Light TV programs on Roku. We've taken a few weeks off, but now we're back on with some very exciting shows coming up in the next couple of months. I'm particularly excited to tell you that since it's the year for consecrated life, we're going to be spending a lot of time speaking with different people who are living consecrated lives. And also, since we're preparing for the World Meeting of Families in Philadelphia in September and the Synod on the Family in October, we're also going to be speaking with a lot of married couples. So we're going to be focusing on consecrated life and marriage and family. And that's all in the next couple of months. If you want to share your consecrated life story or your marriage and family story, reach out to me via Facebook or Twitter, and maybe we'll have you on the show. Now, we've been away for a while, but we do have a prize to give away. Josette Clado of Scarborough, Ontario, you have won a copy of Tori Harris's album, Sweet Dolore. So, Josette Clado, congratulations. You should be getting Tori Harris's Sweet Dolor in the mail soon. And for the rest of you, remember that you can sign up to be entered into our weekly draw. Just go to saltandlighttv.org slash radio. Today, Stefan is back with our news, and Andrew will be here with a Saint of the Week. And uh, we're now in Lent, so Father Thomas Rosica has a special reflection. Today also, Father Rosica kicks us off with our mini-series on consecrated life with a conversation with Sister Monique Bourget of the Institute of St. Marcelina. Sister Monique is a French-Canadian nun working in a hospital in Sao Paulo, Brazil. So you don't want to miss that conversation that's in about 20 minutes. In our second half hour, we'll be speaking with Father Nauras Samour. He's the National Director for Jesuit Refugee Service in Syria. I'm sure that many of you will be interested in knowing what the church is doing in the midst of the civil war and the threats by ISIS. That's in about half an hour. And afterwards, we end the show with a conversation with Brother Emile from the Taizé community. If you don't know about Taizé, I think that after we play this song, you'll have a better idea. Here is one of the best-known Taizé songs from the community. 
Bless the Lord from their album Sing to the Lord. That was Bless the Lord from the Teze Community's album, Sing to the Lord. And we're going to be speaking with Brother Emile from Teze in our second half hour. And in five minutes, Saint of the Week with Andrew Santos. But first, here's Stefan with our news. We have some new cardinals. We do have new cardinals. In fact, we have 20 new cardinals. Yes. Uh, from all over the world. Uh, 15 are actually uh, voting eligible. 
uh, the other five are over the age of 80. Uh, what's really interesting about this consistory this mm-hmm. time around is that the Cardinals really come from a wide variety of countries, uh, countries you maybe wouldn't necessarily associate uh, with the Cardinal Initial C. Right. Uh, you have Tonga, New Zealand, Panama, Ethiopia, Cape Verde, mm-hmm. uh, places, again, not your New York's, your Madrid's, your... Paris. Uh, exactly. exactly. Panama being, of course, the most important place. Absolutely. And it's not even the archdiocese because some of them come from smaller dioceses that wouldn't normally... Are they're not the, the biggest C in that particular country. Absolutely. We have yeah. a couple who are just bishops, not even archbishops. Yeah, so. I know. Interesting. What does that mean? Change in the church. Change in the church. Now, um, the Pope has been speaking out a lot about the the murder of the 21 Copt, Coptic Christians in Libya. Yeah. Uh, the uh, the Islamic State in Libya released a video in the last couple of days mm-hmm. uh, showing 21 Coptic Christians being executed on the beach. Right. Uh, and as the Pope mentioned, uh, simply because they are Christian. Uh, he's been really vocal about this issue this week, uh, going so far as to refer to them as martyrs. Uh, he phoned uh, Tuadros II in Egypt, who is the head of the Coptic Orthodox Church, right. to express his condolences. Uh, this is taking a real, real hit uh, for the community, the Christian communities in North Africa. Um, so he's called for the international community to act on the matter, but to do so in a peaceful manner. Similar, Cardinal Perlin has done the same, the Secretary mm-hmm. of State, uh, specifically invoking the United Nations. Mm-hmm. Um, however, uh, in all of this, there's uh, another important name from the church that came into the news, and that is Bishop Martinelli. Yeah. He's the apostolic vicar to Tripoli, uh, where uh, okay. one of the largest cities in Libya. Uh, the city is basically surrounded and already has militants in the city. Uh, speaking to Vatican Radio this week, he said he's not going to leave the city. Mm-hmm. He's going to stick it out with the remaining Christians that are still there because uh, he says that's that's what Christ would do. Yeah, he, he, He's going to uh, bear through what's probably going to be a very ugly, very nasty uh, situation there on the ground. Let me just interrupt for a second, just a little background. So so he is the apostolic vicar for Rome. Yes. So he's not a, it, it, technically he's not the bishop of a diocese, but he, be, but, but he is the representative for Rome for the Latin. Yes. The Latin, right. The Roman Catholic, uh, Catholics in Libya. Yes. The Coptic Christians are Christians, but they're not... Roman Catholic. They're not Roman Catholic. No, you have yes. Catholic Coptics and Orthodox Coptics. Yes. So, uh, and, and the Coptic Church is the biggest, I guess, Christian church in Egypt. Yes, Egyptian absolutely. Church. It's one of the yeah. oldest churches. Yes. Uh, Which in... is why the Pope phoned the patriarch in Egypt. Yes, so the Orthodox okay, good. church there. Just to make sure people are understanding. So, so Martinelli is the apostolic vicar, and he is going to stay there no matter what. That's what he's saying. Uh, and he's been very critical of the situation there. He's calling for unity amongst all groups, regardless of their faith background, whether it's Muslim or Christian, right. uh, whether it's the Arab population or the non-Arab population. Uh, he really sees the root of this uh, as economic self-interest. He was highly critical of the NATO uh, campaign in the country. Uh, but above all else, he says dialogue is needed. And he's calling on everybody uh, who wants to live a free and peaceful life uh, to get in on that dialogue. Yeah, I'm sure we're going to hear a lot more about this developing story. Thank you, Stefan. Stefan Slovak, you can watch him on Perspectives Monday to Thursday at 7 p.m. Eastern on Salt and Light TV. You can watch it online at saltandlighttv.org and also now on Roku. Hi, I'm Amanda Vernon, and you're listening to the Salt and Light Hour with Deacon Pedro. You can podcast our show for free at saltandlighttv.org slash radio. And you can tell me how much you like the show by contacting me, Deacon Pedro, through Facebook or Twitter. 
And now it's time for... Saint of the Week with Andrew Santos. Andrew, Pedro? good to talk to you. How are you? I am good. This so is our first show back for the year, is it not? St- it is. Oh, that's y- awesome. And it's Lent. And it's our first show in the season of Lent. It is. How do you like that? I l- well, I like it. Oh, I, I, listen, Lent is a great time in the church. Uh, really an opportunity to retreat, step back, and mm-hmm. really evaluate who we are in front of God. So um, I had the chance to do that. Uh, this past week, um, not, while being at, uh, at our local high school here in Unionville. Yeah. So I'm um, really looking forward to uh, seeing what Lent has to bring us. And I think there are two, there are two blessings in the Church uh, who will be able to um, kind of point us, um, point us to God during this Lenten season. Okay, okay, With that being us. said, yep. uh, we're going to look at blessings Jacinto and Francisco Marto. Okay, so those are the two little children from Fatima. Absolutely, and their feast day was actually yesterday, Friday, February the 20th. 20th. So uh, let me start off by saying that uh, between May the 13th and October the 13th, uh, 1917, uh, we're getting really, really close to the 100th anniversary, uh, three children, um, Portuguese shepherds, really from, um, I'm Portuguese, and I'm really going to just butcher this right now, but here we go, Um, Aljustral, uh, received apparitions of Our Lady at uh, Cova de Iria, and you can find that uh, near Fatima, which is a city about 100 miles uh, north of Lisbon. And at that time, Europe was involved in a really, really extremely bloody war. Uh, Portugal found itself in political turmoil, having overthrown its monarchy in the year 1910. So the government then disbanded religious organizations um, quickly after. So at the first appearance, Mary asked the children to return to that spot on the 13th day of each month for the next six months. Uh, Those of us who know the story of Fatima will know that. Uh, Mary also asked them to learn to read and write and to pray the rosary for the intention of obtaining peace for the world and the end of the war. So um, in their prayers, they were to pray for sinners and, interestingly enough, for the conversion of Russia, Mm -hmm. which had uh, recently overthrown um, Nicholas II and was soon to fall under communism. Uh, On the day of October the 13th, 1917, up to 90,000 people gathered for Mary's final apparition. Less than two years later, we know that Francisco, he died of uh, the flu. He died of influenza in his family home. And interestingly enough, he was buried in the parish cemetery and then reburied in the Fatima Basilica in 1952. Mm-hmm. When we look at Jacinta, uh, she died of exactly the same thing. She died of influenza in the capital, in Lisbon. And she offered her suffering for the conversion of sinners, peace in the world, and for the intentions of our Holy Father. Um, she also was reburied in the Fatima Basilica later on, and that wasn't until 1951. Uh, their cousin, Lucia dos Santos, became a Carmelite nun and was still living when Jacinta and Francisco uh, were beatified in the Jubilee year, and that was in 2000. Mm-hmm. Sister Lucia recently died. Uh, she was one of the last of the of the of the children to see Mary. She was one of the last to uh, to pass away, and that was a few years back. Yeah. Now, the Shrine of Our Lady of Fatima. If you have not checked it out, I really recommend that you do that. Um, hey, if you can go on a Lenten pilgrimage to Fatima, that'd be fantastic. But uh, really check it out. It is visited by up to they say at least twenty million people a year. Mm-hmm. So, um, you know, we know in terms of apparitions, uh, the church is always very cautious about endorsing alleged apparitions, um, but it, it has seen benefits from people changing their lives uh, because of the message of Our Lady of Fatima. You yeah. know, what did Our Lady of Fatima tell us to do? You know, devote ourselves to 
her heart to the Immaculate Heart of Mary, to pray for sinners and to really take the good news on the road and bring people to uh, a fulfillment of love in the Church. So um, we look to Blessed Jacinto and Francisco Marto, whose feast day is yesterday, Friday, February the 20th, and uh, I hope they will uh, they will kickstart um, another round of saints. You know, we had the chance to look at some Advent and summer saints back last year. Uh, we're going to go on the road and look at some Lenten saints this year. So okay. we'll start with Jacinta and Francisco. Uh, pray for us. Very good. So we look forward to that. Thank you very much, Andrew. Andrew Santos, he's a youth minister at St. Justin Martyr Parish in Unionville, Ontario, and he is our saint expert. Hi, I'm Father Alberto Raposo from La Voz del Desierto from Spain, and you are listening to the Salt and Light Hours with Deacon Pedro. On Ash Wednesday, the Church begins her great Lenten journey with Jesus on the road to Jerusalem. For centuries, Lent has been a very intense spiritual journey and experience for the followers of Jesus Christ. Why are there 40 days in Lent? It took 40 days for sinfulness to drown in the flood before a new creation could inherit the earth. It took 40 years for the generation of slaves to die before the freeborn could enter the Promised Land. For 40 days, Moses, Elijah, and Jesus fasted and prayed to prepare themselves for a life's work. Lent invites us to turn from our own selves, from our sin, to come together in community. Self-denial is the way we express our repentance. Self-denial is threefold, advises Matthew's Gospel. We pray, go to your room, close your door, and pray to your Father in private. We fast. No one must see you are fasting but your Father in heaven. We give alms. Keep your deeds of mercy secret, and your Father who sees in secret will repay you. Through the Lenten exercise of prayer, fasting, and almsgiving, we spring clean our lives, sharpen our senses, put tomorrow in its place, and treasure the day at hand. One of the three Lenten practices open to the most misinterpretation today is that of fasting. Fasting has become ambiguous in its practice. In antiquity, only religious fasting was known. Today, political and social fasting exists, hunger strikes, health and ideological fasting, vegetarians or pathological fasting, anorexia, aesthetic fasting, the cult of the body, believing that thinner is better. There is above all a fast imposed by necessity, that of millions of human beings who lack the indispensable minimum and die daily of hunger. These fasts in themselves have nothing to do with religious or aesthetic reasons. In aesthetic fasting, at times, one can even mortify the vice of gluttony only to obey another capital vice, that of pride or vanity. Fasting in itself is something good and advisable. It translates some fundamental religious attitudes, reverence before God, acknowledgement of one's sins, resistance to the desires of the flesh, concern for and solidarity with the poor, as with all human things, however, it can fall into presumption of the flesh. Remember the words of the Pharisee in the temple, I fast twice a week, in Luke's Gospel, chapter 18, verse 12. Lent is a time for us to discover the reasons for the pious practices, disciplines, and devotions of our Catholic Christian tradition. What have we done 
with the important Lenten practice of fasting. If Jesus were here to speak to the disciples of today, what would he stress most? We regard as more important the need to share bread with the hungry and clothe the naked. We are in fact ashamed to call ours a fast when what would be for us the height of austerity to be on bread and water for millions of people would already be an extraordinary luxury, especially if it is fresh bread and clean water. Fasting helps us not to be reduced to pure consumers. It helps us to acquire the precious fruit of the Spirit, which is self-control. It predisposes us to the encounter with God. We must empty ourselves in order to be filled by God. Fasting creates authentic solidarity with millions of hungry people throughout the world. But we must not forget that there are alternative forms of fasting and abstinence from food. We can practice fasting from smoking and drinking. This not only benefits the soul, but also the body. There is fasting from violent and sexual pictures that television, movies, magazines, and internet bombard us with daily as they distort human dignity. There is the fasting from condemning and dismissing others, a practice so prevalent in today's church. For now is the acceptable time. Now is the day of salvation. We need Lent to help us recognize that our identity and mission are rooted in Jesus' dying and rising. Prayer, fasting, and almsgiving are the pillars of the Lenten journey for Christians. And Lent is a time to fast from certain things and also a time to feast on others. Fast from discontent, anger, bitterness, self-concern, discouragement, laziness, suspicion, guilt. Feast on gratitude, patience, forgiveness, compassion for others, hope, commitment, truth, and the mercy of God. Lent is just such a time of fasting and feasting. Father Thomas Rosica is a Bazilian priest. He is the CEO of Salt and Light Catholic Media Foundation and the executive producer of this program. Hey, Audrey Assad here from Nashville, Tennessee, and you're listening to the Salt and Light Hour with Deacon Pedro. Salt and Light is now on Roku. Roku is the largest on-demand TV streaming service in the world with more than 8 million boxes in use in the United States alone. Roku works through your internet provider and through it, you can stream the latest movies, TV shows, music, games, and much more. You can find out more about how to get Salt and Light on your Roku at saltandlighttv.org. One of the programs that you can watch on Roku is Witness with Father Tom Rosica. Here is an excerpt of his conversation with Sister Monique Bourget of the Institute of St. Marcelina. Sister Monique Bourget, thank you so much for coming. We've been waiting to have you here. We first met in Brazil during the World Youth Day in Rio de Janeiro. I heard about this cool Canadian nun that was working in a hospital in Sao Paulo, and I'm grateful to the Canadian Consul General in Rio who brought the two of us together. Now you're home for a few days, so thanks for being with us. Thank you for the invitation. This is great to be able to talk what God has made as my life. Tell me about the challenges of the Brazilian church at this moment in history. Um, I think the Catholic church right now has to have a renewal. It, uh, uh, Brazilian people are very lively. Mm. They're, they're full of life. They love to celebrate life. Yeah. From your perspective, did the World Youth Day in Rio make a difference for the church in Brazil? 
I think it revived it. Yeah. It was very important for people to see that Catholic Church is still alive yeah. and it's, uh, it's well. Yeah. The Pope is so charismatic, he's really helped. And even though people are not Catholic, everybody yeah. talks about the Pope yeah. uh, and, and the way he acts and the, what he does. And so this is very important. Uh, there's obviously vocations in different religious congregations in the third world. Mm -hmm in your country that you're living in now and other countries and yet we have difficulties in Canada and North America. Why? Do you ever do thinking about that? Well, the, the world is, is uh, the conception, right? The consumption uh, uh, mm -hmm. about uh, having your life full of things, things and, and, right. and full of, of pleasures and, and, and full of uh, uh, communication and, yeah. and that People are just not thinking in, enough about what is the real life. I, I teach and we started up a medical school. Uh, so you're a professor in medical school too? That's right. So I teach 20 hours in the first semester. Wow. Spirituality and thanatology. So yeah. thinking and about... Death. That's right. Yeah. Thinking about uh, your your own death first, right? That every one of us is, is limited and <laughs> we're going to die one day and helping other people to go through this procedure. Because when you're going to medicine, you say, oh, I'm gonna save everybody, I'm gonna, right? <laughs> and that, that's the way you're trained. You, you wanna yeah. combat every, every disease and you wanna make everybody better, yeah. but you can't. And, and I think that's important because right now in the world we live, people don't think they're gonna die. A, it's a denial of death too. Uh, the, that's right. The ravages of age, we don't, we deny. It's anti-aging shops we construct up here. Uh, yeah, youth, permanent youth, else. right? right. Yeah, yeah. So plastic surgery in Brazil is like it's my a big thing. Big thing. Yeah. What advice would you give a young woman who might be considering the consecrated life or the religious life? What kind of probing questions or what suggestions, what hints might you pass on to somebody? Um, if you have really faith, God is, is doing much more. Like, if, because right now, here on earth, mm -hmm. we build eternity life. So, that's right. if you. If this you, is the laboratory of eternal life. That's right. Living, yeah. if, if we really believe, and, and, and so this is only a very small portion of our life. Uh -huh. That was Father Tom Rosica speaking with Sister Monique Bourget of the Institute of St. Marcelina. You can watch the full interview on Witness this week on Roku or by going to saltandlighttv.org slash witness. Coming up in our second half hour, doing good work in Syria and a featured conversation with Brother Emil of Teze. So stay tuned. Welcome to the Salt and Light Hour Part 2. I'm Deacon Pedro. It's impossible to go through a week without hearing about Syria in the news. 
But what we hear is not always good news. We hear about war, about terror, about persecution of minorities, refugees. But the reality is that it's not all bad news. There are stories of hope. To find out more, I spoke with Father Nauras Samur, National Director of Jesuit Refugee Service in Syria. Here's an excerpt of our conversation. Since 2011, uh, when I think most of us started hearing about Syria, that there was, you know, the uprising, the the civil war. Can we call it a civil war? I called it a civil war. Yeah. Actually, I have. Yeah. Now I'm I'm much more comfortable of of, tell, of saying that it's civil war than other things, with with international dimension as well. Right. The the figure that I have is that 200,000 Syrians have died officially since 2011, but you think the number is higher? I would think, yes, it's higher than 200,000 people killed. Because those who are dis who disappeared, mm -hmm. we don't have any news. Mm -hmm. Those who are, you know, kidnapped without any news, and those who killed without being identified in somehow. Right. So. So you don't know. Yeah. Now, you live in Damascus now. Yeah. How is living in Damascus today? Uh, listen, the daily life in Damascus, it's, I mean, if you go right now to Damascus, you see there's a traffic jam, there are people going, people going around, to work, kids going, going to, school. to work, yeah, yeah, yeah. No problem with the difference of checkpoints. You know, some, some, some roads are blocked mm -hmm. uh, for different reasons, especially for security reasons. And you could hear the aviation, Bombing yes, somewhere, yes. airplanes. You could hear b b fighting around. Right. And, in the city. And yeah, and the city. There's no fighting. Some some areas of the cities, yes, besieged mm -hmm. areas, mm -hmm. and there's fighting. Yes. But you know the heart, the downtown of Damascus. There's nothing. It happen. It could happen that we could receive some mortars as well, launched from yes. the other part. So the front line, it's something from the heart of Damascus, the front line with the first area of fighting, something like four kilometers, mm -hmm. not mm -hmm. more. So you, we could hear everything, but life continues. Yeah. That's what I say, it's the phase two, the phase one of the events. I mean, everybody was scared. I mean, they are, we are stuck at home. We don't move at night and yeah. we avoid to go out. That's the first, the the phase, first stage, the first stage, the first phase. Now the phase two, I mean, we go around, we don't care about tomorrow, and we, we let's say, we live the, the present moment. Yeah. The present moment. And somehow it's a fatalism, yes. which, is, which is, according to me, dangerous. Yeah. Dangerous. I mean, we don't care about the future. People have if given it's going to happen today, let, let, yeah. let it happen. Yeah. I guess that's one of the effects of, of, of a war where people get used to it and I mean I've, I remember reading stories about Beirut when a, a car bomb would go off and people would just check that it wasn't their car and then they go to have their coffee exactly um, because they've just gotten so accustomed to it exactly which is not, the same yeah exactly the same I mean that's 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 bad yeah that's bad yes now the work that you do with Jesuit refugee service Tell us a little bit about the organization. It, it's, it's been around for 30, it's going to be 35 years, since 1980. Yeah, exactly. What is the goal of the organization? I mean, it started in 1980 with the boat people phenomenon, you know. From in, Vietnam? In Asia Pacific, uh, for, uh -huh. yeah, that region. 
people coming from Vietnam, going to Thailand and to other countries at, mm -hmm. the, at that region. And it developed thanks to a letter sent by Father General at that time, Father Pedro, Pedro Arupe, who yes. sent a letter to all Jesuits from the, that region, telling them to welcome to those refugees and to help them, to do something mm -hmm. for helping them. And that was the first moment of the JRS, Jesuit Refugee Service. Now it developed. Now we have 10 regions mm -hmm. all over the world, worldwide. Uh, Northern America, Latin America, Southern America, Europe, four regions in Africa, uh -huh. one in Central Asia, one in Asia Pacific, and the last one was the creation of uh, Middle East and Northern Africa, our region. That's right, and you were the director of that region exactly. for, for the last four years or so. Yeah, and it started just to help Iraqis. So it started with the Iraqi in, crisis. Yeah, yeah, in 2008, and then uh, because of the events in Syria, it developed a lot. Now our region, which is the last one, and it was considered like the smallest one, uh -huh. it's the biggest region, the unfortunately. Biggest. Because I you mean, have more refugees coming from that region? I mean, in terms of population serve, we serve something like 35% of the whole refugee community we serve mm -hmm. in all over the world. Mm -hmm. And in terms of budget, we are the biggest budget. In really? terms of the... Uh, let's say, involvement of Jesuits who are the biggest number of Jesuit working, and in terms of involvement of volunteers and uh, staff, we are the biggest number as well. Right. So that's it. And is your work, would you say that the work is still uh, qualified as to welcome and to serve the To refugees? accompany. To accompany, to, to walk accompany, with. exactly, and to serve and to advocate their own rights mm -hmm. as refugees at displaced people. So to accompany, it's about how it's n we are not a machine, I mean, a supplier of services. We are people working with people, human beings working with human beings. Mm -hmm. So we are not a supplier of services. So it depends on the way of welcoming those people, the way of, uh, you know, just uh, taking them as people, human beings, suffer in mm -hmm. suffering. Mm -hmm. So just to, to listen to them, to be empathic with them in somehow, that's the aim. What, wh whatever the service we could offer, if the way of offering that service, that makes the difference. So you, you might still provide the service, let's say giving them clothing, but how you do it is different that's than... Exactly. It's about how to do things, not uh, what to do. Mm -hmm. How is the threat of Islamic State, ISIS, affecting the whole situation? You know, I mean, it's, it's something we could not tolerate. I mean, it's not acceptable at all to have such a powerful and attractive ideology mm -hmm. in the 21st century which calls people to kill others who are not like them. So why is it so attractive? I don't know. I don't know. I mean, I don't know. I can't understand. In, 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 in everyone, in each one of us, maybe there, there is a small grain of fundamentalism, mm -hmm. of uh, fanatism or whatever. But, you know, the, 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 the culture uh, calls us to, to just to, to befriend that grain and to be a social with others in, mm -hmm. you know, a sociable human being with others in the society to build together. Whereas for those people, it became a beast. It became, you know, just uh, right. 
Yeah. And it's, I mean, it's not about only the right of minorities. They are against everybody. Yes. Yeah. I mean, they are against Muslims. They are against Christians. They are against different community of Muslims. They are against everybody who's not like them. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. For Jesuit refugee service in Syria, what would you say is your greatest challenge right now? For me, my biggest concern is security. Mm -hmm. I mean, working in a such condition of uncertainty, I mean, with, uh, I would say, randomly death mm -hmm. daily. So security of our staff, of our people, of our population staff, that's the first concern. Because death, and uh, it could happen everywhere, I mean, wherever, for whomever, uh, whenever. Yeah. So that's my biggest, my biggest concern. And so, uh, but you don't mean for your own staff, uh, as you mean in for, general? In general, but especially but for especially my own, for staff, own staff, my own staff and my, my own. I mean, when it's about, I mean, you hear about mortars fallen in the area where we have centers for children. And you call and you know that the half of children, they didn't reach yet our center. So you, you are, I mean, yeah, I'm, I'm a little worried. bit, yeah. Well, worried. we hear about even priests or religious being kidnapped. Like you, your targets as priests, that, that must be something you We have lost day. as Jesuit uh, six months yes. ago, seven yes. months ago in, in Old Homs. Yes. He was uh, savagely killed without any reason. And God knows the way he worked for reconciliation and for being with, with, mm -hmm. with his own people without leaving the old city of Homs, mm -hmm. the residence of Jesuit, yeah. to be in the service of everybody. Yeah. Now, despite all of that, you have hope. That's how I started the program, saying that we had stories of hope. Um, and it's hard to focus on that, but we have to. So there must be stories every day, uh, families that you meet, people that you meet that give you hope. Tell us some of those. Let me tell you two, two things. Uh, in uh, Ramadan uh, 2012, that was the very uh, first uh, big fighting within Damascus. Mm -hmm. And we got people around in the parks, you know, without shelters, without anything. And we went around with some of my, of my, of our volunteers, uh, bringing some, something like 800 uh, falafel sandwiches, very uh -huh. popular, you know, yes. in Syria, just to distribute to some Jews. Yes. And when we were going around for distributing, I met a lady, something, she was something like 75, with only two bags, with cucumber and tomato coming uh -huh. to us saying, that's my capacity to help, so please accept that. And she was a Christian lady uh -huh. helping, you know, Muslims during Ramadan. Right. Another story, it was the distribution of clothing the last Christmas uh -huh. in 2013 and 14. Yes. And distribute, you know, kids, clothing kits for children, something like 2,000 children, 1,500 children. Uh -huh from of something like 1,000 family. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, we distribute. The last day of distribution, uh, we gave to two children with the mother, and it was the last day. The very next day, we received a visit from that family, children with new clothes, uh -huh. the mother and the father, with a handmade cake. And it was a Muslim family. Yes to wish us Merry Christmas. And to thank you, yes. 
So you see, that those, those kind of stories, for me, it's a, a source of hope. To keep you going. And yeah, it's worthy to keep on, to, to, to carry on and to continue our struggling for peace, I would say. Yes. And our I guess for peace. And I guess prayers are also good. So we will pray for you and we will do what we can to help the work that you do, Father. Samur, it's been a great pleasure having you here. Thank, Thank you, you for the much. work that you do and, and come again. Thanks, thanks. Thank you very much. Father Naura Samur is the National Director for Jesuit Refugee Service in Syria. To find out more or to help, you can find out more about Jesuit Refugee Service at jrs.net. You can also watch my full conversation with Father Samur by watching Perspectives on Roku or on demand at saltandlighttv.org slash perspectives. Here now from Teze is Per Kruchen from their album Ubi Caritas.
That was Per Cruchem from the Teze community's Ubi Caritas. As France prepared to enter the Second World War, Roger Schutz, a 25-year-old Swiss man inspired by the gospel ideals of reconciliation and fraternity, sought to establish a community of men where kindness of heart and simplicity would be at the center of everything. What started out as a small group of brothers living out the gospel in the remote French village of Taizé has today blossomed into a vibrant ecumenical monastic community where more than 100,000 pilgrims visit each year. Taizé is well known for their music, but it is much more. Brother Emile, a Canadian with the community, was back home last year and I had the chance to speak with him. Brother Emile, thank you for staying 10 minutes longer just so that you could talk to me. It's been, I think it's been four years since we last spoke, but I know you come to Canada every year, and I'm sure you go to other countries. Mm -hmm. um, can I say promoting the message of Teze? Is that a fair assessment? Oh, I don't know. Maybe, maybe just to be. <laughs> which is, <laughs> with which, people. Maybe which, it's the message of Teze. That yes. is the mes okay, <laughs> wait, okay, so wait. So for people who are hearing Teze, and I know people have seen the word and I've heard them say, what is Teze? Yeah. What is, what is Teze? What's the name of the village? Tiny village. Only about in 120 people live there in France. In France. In Burgundy. Uh -huh. uh, wine area, Burgundy. Yeah. And, uh, and it's where, where someone started a community. This is called the community of Taizé because of the village. So the village is Taizé. And you'll tell me who started this <laughs> in, a, in a moment. Uh, but this community has grown. Yes. And now everything that's associated to that community, primarily the music, and we'll talk about that, is referred to as Taizé. Yes. music or the Teze community? Right. Correct. Yes, the community is the bro brothers of Teze, because we're about a hundred brothers. And then you have what goes on in the village of Teze with the gatherings that we started with right. young people that go on practically throughout the year now. Okay. Uh, from at least from February to November. There are maybe a hundred thousand people who come every year to spend a week. Spend okay. a week. So the community was started by Brother Roger? Yep, the founder is Brother Roger. Uh, he was Swiss born. Uh -huh. At the age of 25 he decided to leave Switzerland. Uh -huh. uh, much to the dismay of his family, because uh, why leave a country that is neutral to go to a country that is at war? Why, why make your life so more difficult? So this was during the Second World War? 1940, the war had started just yeah. a few months earlier, and he felt that he had to go to a country that, where there was difficulty, strife, and, and to welcome refugees. He, he had heard about the political mm -hmm. refugees, he had heard about the Jews that were escaping, and so right. he, he opened his home. Uh, that he had just bought in Teze in 1940, he opened it to political refugees. Okay, and then that was the beginning of what now is this huge community of a hundred brothers? Yes, yes, that was the beginning, the very humble beginnings of Teze, and he was alone for two years, then, then three brothers came, then there were seven, ten, twelve, and, and then young people started coming. Right, and it's an ecumenical community, so Bro Roger was not Catholic. Yes, the beginning, uh, Brother Roger uh, was from the, a, a Protestant family, a church of the Calvinist church. His father was a pastor. Okay. He had heard many sermons, many, many sermons. He didn't want to hear more sermons. <laughs> right. he, wanted, he wanted life to speak about, uh -huh. about, about joy, about hope, about trust. And, yeah. and that's what pushed him to, to start a community. Okay. Because his attraction to life. Right. Now, you are Canadian. Yes. When did you join? I joined in 1976. Okay. Uh, I'd been in 1974 for a week and then went back for a year as a volunteer, and then at the end of that year, I entered the community. So what attracted you about Teze? Well, when I was very young, I was invited to go to a Teze weekend in Canada. I'm from northern Ontario, right? and I had no idea what Teze was, but someone said, you'll be interested, go. And so I went, and, and uh, I think 
what touched me most deeply was something that has to do with the resurrection, really, the resurrection of Christ. Because I, I, I think that entered my soul very deeply that joy is not just a feeling. It's not, there's, mm -hmm. Christians are not about an artificial kind of optimism, mm -hmm. but there's a foundation to joy. And that's Christ is risen from the dead. Death has been conquered. That, that was something that entered me at a very young age. And I realized this is, this is the most important thing I've ever experienced. I've got to go further. So you experienced that at that Teze gathering when you were 17, 17 years old. Yeah. Uh, presumably that was, it was a, a, a gathering like they have them now with the music? Yes, there were, it wasn't exactly the same kind of music, but, it, but it was, there was prayer with song and mm -hmm. uh, silence and, and there was discussion and what friendship. What do you think it was about that meeting that made you think about the resurrection? I that, don't know. I remember waking up, being realizing that there is something greater than death. That there is something, and that, that entered me very deeply. And so I was happy because later on I was able to study some of the theology of the resurrection mm -hmm. and work on that quite a lot. But I realized that entered my heart at a very young age and, and determined really the rest of the path I was going to take. So in, in summary of the question, what, what, how did that genre of music, if we can call it a genre, how did it develop? I think that Tese music was created, composed, partly because we were very frustrated, mm -hmm. Brother Roger in particular, with the, oh. with the, impossi the impossibility of praying with people who have, don't speak French, who don't, who don't know what the singing of the Psalms is about, or the okay. singing of hymns, and we have to find something easier. And so that's how we created these very short songs that are known as the songs of Teze. Now they were maybe sometimes in the form of a round, or, a, right. or it's called a nostinato, something you could repeat over yeah. and over again. Yeah. And, uh, when we had one or two of those songs, we realized we can pray in a slightly different way now with people. People will participate in a few minutes or seconds even, they will learn the melody. So even if they don't speak the language? They don't need to speak the language, there are only three words, Veni Sancti Spiritus, yes. or there's Yubi Latte Deo, two yes, words, no? Yes, la, uh, Latte Deo. Yeah, and so, yeah. And so you, 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 you can participate in the prayer. And, and, and that was the aim, I think, is that people be participants in the prayer. And at the same time, there was also in, in our community, largely because of Brother Roger, I think, uh, a desire to be honest with yes. the human condition, not to have music that would be, ah, it's easy to have faith, it's easy to be, trust in God. We know it's not like that. We know there's a struggle often to trust. We, mm -hmm. we have fears, we have doubts. And Brother Roger wanted music that would be honest with what mm -hmm. we are about as human beings. Know that we go by night, we don't see, we don't have visions, we don't see God, we don't see our hope. We grope, we move, we inch mm -hmm. our way forward, we, we start over again, we fall, we get up. Uh, faith is like that, isn't it? And, and, and so, so he wanted a music often in the minor key. There are a few joyful songs yeah, in the major yeah, yeah. key, but off, many are in the minor key. And I think people connect with that. They say, oh yes, my life of faith is like that. No, I'm also, yeah. I, I don't have visions, I don't see, I, I need to grope also. And, and so they felt that they could pray with just... Yeah, the music helped them. We go by night. We sing those, those words of St. John of the Cross. Yeah. De noche yes. in Spanish. De noche iremos de noche. We yeah. go by night mm -hmm. without vision. Uh, we sing lots of words about trusting, about being thankful, about things that maybe don't come to us spontaneously all the time. Was Brother Roger the composer, or was it, how did they get written? Well, Brother Roger is the one who really asked one of our brothers, who was a medical doctor, actually, who, oh, yeah. who had a passion for music, to, to think of, of ways of, of praying with people. And he approached a composer in Paris, Jacques Berthier, 
who was an okay. organist, who was an organist for the Jesuits in Paris. In okay, because Jacques. So I know Jacques Berthier because his name is something. He's a, his name is on the music. Credited, yes, yes. yes so he's not a member of the community. He was never a member of the community, but he was a great. He was a great composer. He died in the nineties, but he was a great composer. And uh, I see. And he accepted to search. He was not only a great composer, but a very humble one. So uh -huh. he would compose something, and if it didn't work right with the with the assembly with the crowd, we would send it back, and he would rewrite it so that the chord be easier, mm -hmm. or people not make a mistake at the end. And right. for every song there's a file, a thick file really? uh, uh, of searching. That's why he always wanted the name of the brother who had contacted him to be on the books also, uh, Brother Robert, because he said it's a collaboration. Okay. It's right. a collaboration. So what is it about music? Because, and I don't know this is specific to Taizé music, but definitely we see it in Taizé music, that is conducive to prayer or to a mystical experience. I think the texts are very well chosen. Text okay. of scripture, there, there are not many words. Uh, I mentioned the, the music often. Uh, the, there's a quality, it's a simple music, but there's a quality to yes. the music. You know, yes. there's a, there Berthier, now the brothers are composing, but there, there, there's a quality, I think, to the music, even if it's simple and uh, it's, 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 it is musical. And uh, there's an atmosphere also. You know, there's an atmosphere, there's the icons, semi-darkness, mm -hmm. even the bodily position. In Taizé, there are no pews. People are sitting on the floor. Right, so there's a whole experience. There's a, there's a, yes, yes, yeah, yeah, yeah. and so you, you're, yeah, you're, all your senses, the early Christians knew that, that all our senses are made to participate in the prayer. Right. Uh, we listen, but we also are called to see. There was the incense. And the candles. But even touching sometimes the icon. So it's, 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 it, we have to come out of an intellectual approach to prayer. You know, it has to involve our whole being, uh -huh. our whole body, uh, our hearts. The heart is... Is a tricky word, you know. Sometimes people say heart is, you know, our feelings. But in the Bible, the heart is. The German bishops translated it very well in the Catechism for Adults. They said, "The heart is the real me." Mm. And I like that definition very much. Mm -hmm. no, it's not often that you're called to be who you really are. Right. No, you're sometimes called to pretend you're this or that, or, but to 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 realize God wants me to be me. Mm -hmm. uh, it's an enormous discovery you know, when, when, right. when prayer makes that possible, that God is really interested in you. He has time for you as a person. And, and I think the music also somehow communicates that. that you, many people don't know they can sing. Yes. They think you know, singing is for people who have trained voices, who have studied music. And at Taizé, I can sing. Everybody can sing. I had sing. no idea I could sing. And you yes. can become part of it. And, and yes. your voice is, is called to be heard. And it's beautiful. Um, so you mentioned briefly that there are conferences or gatherings that happen all year round now. So anyone can go. When you were a young man, you went for a week. Is that an experience that anyone can participate in? Practically throughout the year, there are people uh, more from, from February, March to November. Mm -hmm. uh, so we get huge crowds, like in the summer, it's three to 5,000 people. Every week we're spending wow. a week at Tese. From around the world. From around the world. And, and we have gatherings Outside of Taizé, always after Christmas, there's the big European meeting. Yes. Two months ago, yeah, we were in Strasbourg yeah. for yeah. 30,000 people yes. for five days. And, uh, and sometimes on other continents, we'll be in Texas at the end of uh, uh, April. We'll have uh, two gatherings, one in Dallas, April this one year, in Houston, 2014. 2014. Yeah. And then March, we'll be in Austin, Texas, just oh, before that. So, so, yes, anyone can come, but the focus uh, for these gatherings outside Taizé is mostly for the 18 to 35-year-old, okay. 17, 17, 18 to 35. And then we have people over 35 can come for a week to Taizé itself. There are quite a number who come. Quite a number of okay, people. I see. Um, so if people want to find out more, they can just go to the website, taizé.fr. Yes, taizé.fr, and they can even see a short video, and they can even register yes. on online. Now it's become much easier. 
Okay, Brother Emil, that's all the time we have, but thank you. It's been good to see you. I knew you were coming, and of course, when I saw you, I was surprised. I don't know why, because I knew you were coming. Um, but I'm glad that we had a, a chance to speak today and, and keep doing what you're doing. Thank you. It's good to see you again. That was a conversation I had with Brother Emile of Taizé when he was in Canada last year. You can learn more about Taizé at taizé.fr, and that's T-A-I-Z, or Z-E, T-A-I-Z-E, dot F-R. You can also watch full interviews with Brother Emile on Witness with Father Rosica and on Catholic Focus with Sheridan Sanders, both on demand at saltandlighttv.org and also on Roku. Here now is the Teze community with Ubi Caritas, Deus Ibi Est, from their album, Ubi Caritas. listening to Ubi Caritas Deus Ibi Est from the Teze community album Ubi Caritas. And that will take us to the end of the program. Remember to visit us at saltandlighttv.org to learn more about what we do and to watch our programs, which you can also now watch on demand on Roku. And remember that you can always reach me, Deacon Pedro, on Facebook or on Twitter. Thank you for your support. Thank you for your financial contribution to this program, without which we would not have a program. But most of all, thank you for listening. I'm Deacon Pedro, and this has been the Salt and Light Hour.